0: Well, turn with me now in your Bibles to Psalm 110. We're going to read briefly from Psalm 110 to provide a little bit of context for our sermon passage. Our sermon this morning will be from Hebrews 7 verses 11 through 19. We'll turn there in a moment. Hebrews 7 11 through 19. But first, let's read from Psalm 110 a little unusual as an Old Testament reference, because as our who sing the Psalms, we often don't read them. We sing them. But in this case, Psalm 110 is being leaned on so heavily in Hebrews 6 and 7, that at some point we needed to go back and look at this and figure out what it is the book of Hebrews is doing with it. So we're going to do a little bit of that this morning. Hebrews chapter 7 in a moment. But first, let's hear now from Psalm 110. The Psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places. With dead bodies, he will execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. Amen. David is a prophet through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here in Psalm 110, he does something that defies our historical sensibilities, at least once, twice, maybe even three times. First, as Jesus himself will call attention to in the Gospels in verse 1, the Lord says to his Lord, David is king and head of the church. Who could possibly be David's Lord? Who could outrank David except God himself? And yet it is God, speaking to God, who is David's Lord. There's a Trinitarianism here that is unanticipated. But further, David says that you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Where did that come from? Where from Genesis 14 to Psalm 110 was there any hint that Melchizedek would have a successor? David has twice defied our organic, historic progression of theology and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit seemed to have lighted upon truths that we wouldn't have otherwise perceived. But notice also this one. The Lord has sworn, the Lord has said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. How does David know what God the Father says to God the Son from all eternity? We are standing on holy ground. The bush is aglow with fire and it is not burning. David is consumed with the truth through the power of the Holy Spirit and it defies natural and historical explanation. Jesus has intervened and invaded history to reveal his coming through his prophet, David. With this in mind, let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 7. Our sermon passage this morning continues our series through the book of Hebrews. I'm going to read beginning in verse 11, Hebrews 7 verse 11, and I'm going to read down through verse 19 by pointing us back to Melchizedek. The Holy Spirit here is laying upon us this belief that Jesus is superior to the priests who have gone before him. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 19. Here again the word of the Lord. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek, and not be called according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of the fleshly commandment but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is, the, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Amen and amen. Amen. Several years ago, they began renovating Volusia Plaza down here in Inman Square. And as the construction got underway, we encountered a new urban experience for us. They closed the upper end of Antrim Street. So as I, in my ignorance, was driving down Cambridge Street, I came right to that red light and was prepared to turn right on Antrim Street, but of course... I could not. It was closed. There was a traffic cop standing there at the end of the street, and I rolled down my window and I said, excuse me, I live on this street. And he looked at me like, yeah, so? How do I get home? And he looked at me and he said, well, you can't go that way. And I said, I see that. He's like, you have to go around and come up the one way. And I said, you can do that? The reality is, we are often trying to get to the right place the wrong way. The reality is, is often the Holy Spirit has to come along and stand at the head of a street in our life and say, You can't go that way. That's not going to take you where you want to go. Very often, we need the Holy Spirit to play a traffic cop. And to tell us, stop going down that road. It doesn't lead to your father in heaven. And that's exactly what he's doing in Hebrews chapter 7. He's coming to us and he's saying, you can't do it the old way. You can't do it the way you used to do it. If you are to come near to God in friendship and in fellowship, if you are to be reconciled to God, there is only one way. And it is Jesus Christ. Beloved, the good news for us this morning from this text is that it is Jesus who brings us near to God. Jesus brings you near to God. So live and love with hope. With hope. Now think about this for a little bit this morning. The Holy Spirit first introduces us to the imperfections of the old way he shows us two imperfections that prove to us like a traffic cop at the end of the street that we can't go the old way anymore first in verse 11 he says if perfection were through the levitical priesthood for under it the people received the law what further need was there for another priest Should rise, that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron. We're told that there was a Levitical priesthood and within it an order of Aaron. That was the old way. And the Holy Spirit in Hebrews 7 now stands at the head of the Levitical priesthood of the order of Aaron and says, Stop. There is no getting to God. Through that old way. You will not be reconciled to a holy God through the Levitical priesthood. You will not come into glory, into heaven, to the forgiveness of your sins and peace with God through the order of Aaron. It didn't work. He didn't supply perfection. That road didn't lead to the perfection of a sinless person. There wasn't actually forgiveness of sin in it. There wasn't actually the gift of righteousness in it. There wasn't actually a reconciling of God and man into one happy, healthy relationship. It didn't happen. There was no perfection in it. A new order was needed. A new priesthood was needed. This principle is very important to us as we try to live our Christian life. And as we try to love one another as Christians. Here's the tremendous reality for us in our idolatrous hearts. Your spouse doesn't need you as much as he or she needs Jesus. And your children don't need you as much as they need Jesus. And your parents don't need you as much as they need Jesus. And we can go on and on with our relationships. In your place of employment, in your place of play. You guys have that, right? You have a place where you play? in your networks and in your friendships and in your community the reality is is that the levitical priesthood was given to Israel in order to point them to Jesus their imperfection was part of the plan in order to show it's Jesus you really need Aaron's order was designed to fail and those of us who take care of others, those of us who are entrusted with authority and responsibility, need to recognize that the weight of those duties is not a summons to perfection which you cannot possibly fulfill. It is a call to depend on Christ and to point to Him. Parents, pastors, and professors cannot save. Jesus alone saves and brings us near to God. This imperfection in the persons around you, this imperfection in the person you are, is meant to show you your need for Jesus. Your need for Him. But the second imperfection in the old way that we are introduced to is in the law. For under the Levitical priesthood, the people received the law by saying under the levitical priesthood the people received the law the holy spirit reminds us that the law from day 1 only ever condemned the people of israel as soon as moses came down from the mountain what did he find the people doing sinning and every day after that what did all of the leaders of israel find the people doing sinning Which day in the recorded history of Israel did we find them following the law of God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Now don't sit too harshly in judgment of them, right? Because we're living up to our father's standards, aren't we? The reality is that the law was not handed down to bring about a perfection in the people of God. It couldn't do it. The law, according to verse 12, when the priesthood was changed, also had to be changed. Of necessity, the law had to go away. The priests themselves were a testimony to this fact. Their job was to offer sacrifices, to kill animals in order to atone for the sins of the people. The law of Moses was set up to communicate, to say to the people of Israel, you can't do it. Someone else has to die in your place. The law was intended to bring to light in their consciences their need for an alien righteousness. Their need for someone else to keep the law on their behalf. Friends, we can't go back to the old way. We can't go back to depending on people around us. To depending on our own person. You cannot save yourselves and you cannot save one another, but we also can't go back to the old way of expecting external conformity to a moral standard to save us. Religious rituals won't achieve forgiveness. We can't put ourselves as slaves under the law, the weight, the burden of expectation That somehow my religious performance will save me. It is an imperfection that does not work. There is a new way now. Just as Jesus is this new person. The one to whom all other persons imperfections point. So Jesus gives us a new law. A law of love. Rooted in his Holy Spirit. In which He promises through the prophet Jeremiah that the law will be written upon our hearts and embedded in our minds. Notice the internal nature of the law. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount will say to His disciples, You've heard it said, don't murder. I say to you, don't hate. You have heard it said, don't commit adultery. And I say to you, do not lust. He internalizes the law in a way Moses could not. Why is Jesus able from the Sermon on the Mount? You guys see the parallels, right? Moses and Jesus are both on mountains when they give the law. And when Jesus gives his law from the mountain, his is internal, not external. Why can he do that when Moses' law was only external? Because Jesus is also giving his spirit. And his spirit dwells in us, effecting his will in us. We can't go back to the old way. There is no obedience apart from the love and spirit of Christ. We can't go back to the old way. We won't be sanctified by our will and our performance. In contrast to this imperfection, the imperfection of the ways we are constantly tempted to, that we are constantly tempted to trust the people around us, the people who are over us, We're constantly tempted to trust the systems and the institutions and the orders, and to miss that each of these are intended to be something that communicates to us Christ. The Holy Spirit now gives us the perfections of Christ. Just as he offsets the two imperfections of the old way, he now hands us the two perfections of Jesus. He says, Not surprisingly, if you've been following along the order, the sermon series in Hebrews, the two perfections are his person and his work. First, his person. He says the, the priesthood has been changed of necessity, a change in the law. What was that change? Verse 13, he of whom these things are spoken, that is Jesus, belongs to another tribe, that is Judah, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses said nothing concerning the priesthood. All of the priests of Aaron had descended from the tribe of Levi. According to the law of Moses, that lineage was an essential qualification to serve at the altar. But not so Jesus. He does not descend from Levi. His qualification isn't in the law of Moses... Or in the lineage of Aaron. He is from the tribe of Judah. This would, according to the law of Moses, disqualify him from being a high priest. But it is not so. He who is of the law, of the tribe of Judah, has a supreme reason for being a priest. He is in the order of Melchizedek. You see, Melchizedek, as we have studied before, is the priest king, the one who has united the two offices in his person. And so too, Jesus, as a descendant of Judah, as a son of David, is heir to the throne. He is a king in whom is power and authority and dignity. He rules and he reigns and he governs and he gives and enforces the law. But he is also a priest. He offers sacrifice for lawbreakers. He prays for the wandering and the doubting and the fearful. He seeks the lost and he brings them back. There is not only in his person the right to occupy the royal office of authority. There is in his person the right to occupy the priestly office. In which he forgives sins. In which he reconciles us to God. The perfection of Jesus that surpasses the imperfection of the old way is bound up in who he is, prophet, priest, and king. He is the superlative person. But it's also in his work. Notice in verse 15, And yet it is far more evident, if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come. Not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. The similarity that Jesus has with Melchizedek is not simply in his person. That he has united prophet and priest into one. But also in the fact that Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness. Where he rules, righteousness rules. He is called King of Salem. Where he rules, peace dwells. His rule and reign actually accomplishes righteousness and peace in the world. So too it is with Jesus. He is of the order of Melchizedek. When he extends his scepter, peace dwells. When he extends his authority, righteousness comes. When Jesus conquers and subdues a people to himself, they are reconciled to God. This is what he does. It's his work. But what qualifies him to unite what Judah and Levi kept apart? What qualifies him that in his person he could hold the sum total of salvation? That just as there is no salvation apart from Jesus. There is also no part of salvation that is apart from Jesus. It is found in this line. Verse 16. Not according to the law of a fleshly commandment. Why did Levi have the right to kill an animal and put blood on the people? Because there was a commandment from Moses. Because there was a lineage of Levi. Levi. But what right does Jesus have to offer a sacrifice for sinners, to be priests in our place, to lead us in worship, to reconcile us to God, the power of... Sorry, I like the ESV better. An indestructible life. He has a life that sin cannot conquer. He has a life... That death could not overcome. He has a life that the grave could not keep its grip on. He has an indestructible, resurrected, eternal life. And so do all who follow Him. This is the perfection of Jesus. You don't find this in a Levitical priest. you know how you know? Because they all died. But when Jesus died, death died and Jesus rose again. This is the power of an indestructible life. We don't find this in the law of Moses. you know how we know? Because the law of Moses condemned us to hell. Deservedly as sinners under the wrath and curse of God. And you know what Jesus' law does? It transforms us into objects of love. Didn't you hear 1 John 4? Beloved, we love because He first loved us. The Mosaic Law couldn't make us righteous. Your religious performance can't make you righteous. But Jesus' can. Because His righteousness is an indestructible, eternal righteousness. His rule and reign establishes peace between you and one another, between you and God. As you live in this world and as you love in this world, you have every reason to believe that that life and that love is indestructible. The life you live is indestructible. The love you give is indestructible if it's not yours. If it's Christ. This is his perfection, which no Old Testament priest has, which no human outside of Christ has. Let's not go back to the old way. Let's not fix this world according to our imaginations, according to our wisdom, according to our strength and skill. Let's not fix our marriages, our homes, our jobs, our schoolwork. Let's not go out this week and engage in the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of the self. Let's live in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. In indestructible love, in indestructible life. To that end, the Holy Spirit gives you now two, two truths to apply to your life. First is right out of Psalm 110. In verse 17, for he testifies. I want desperately to know who the he is. For he testifies. Of course, he's the author of the book of Hebrews. He is intentionally anonymous. And he always quotes from the Old Testament anonymously. Why? Because he doesn't want you distracted by the human author. We know who the he is. It's David, right? No. No, it's the Holy Spirit. David, through the Holy Spirit, By the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That's not something David could read Genesis 14 and go, you know what? I know what's going on in Genesis 14. That's something the Spirit revealed to him. The Spirit said this is what the Father set before the Son in His eternal decree. Here's why this quote from Psalm 110 is so important. It points us back to this psalm who has one origin, the Spirit-inspiring David, so that this anonymous author of the book of Hebrews could emphasize the Spirit's power to reveal these truths to us, but also to recognize this fact. This plan predates the Levitical priesthood. The Father said to the Son... You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek before there was a Melchizedek. Jesus isn't plan B. Oh man, those Levites, they like they messed up. They fell apart. That Levitical priesthood didn't work. I need a new priesthood. What, what can I do? And God starts thumbing through the pages of the Old Testament looking for an answer. It's not like that. As David shows us in Psalm 110, as the book of Hebrews 7 shows us, This was God's plan all along. My friends, I hope that is a tremendous comfort to you. Because I remember being in seminary and having a young child. And totally messing up fundamental fatherhood. And going into seminary utterly distraught at what a bad dad I was. And I turned to an older, wiser, experienced father, and I said, When do you get over the feeling you're destroying your kid's life? He said, I don't know. I'll tell you when I get there. You, as parents, were not chosen by God to be perfect. You were chosen by God to be signposts to Christ. You, as friends and neighbors and coworkers, were not put on that job. We're not put on that street. We're not put in that house to be Jesus. That job's taken. You are to be witnesses to Jesus. Testifiers to Jesus. This is a plan that existed long ago. You are entering a world whose story has been written. Whose song is being sung. And it is our place to enjoy and glorify God in it. To step in to the glorious narrative that he is working out. And to testify to the goodness of his Savior Jesus Christ. This plan has always been there. It cannot and will not be disrupted. The second point he says to us in verses 18 and 19. Is that there is on the one hand an annulling of the former commandment. Because of its weakness. And again in the ESV it says uselessness. I like the contrast there because weakness shows us that the law of Moses lacked the strength to achieve righteousness and peace. The law of Moses had not the power to save, it had the power to condemn. In like ways, it was unprofitable. It was useless. It lacked the skill to accomplish what was necessary. Paul will labor to make this point. That the law of Moses, that the labors of the self-righteous cannot save. There is such weakness in our obedience. Such uselessness in our righteousness which is as filthy rags. The law made nothing perfect. The Levitical priesthood, the law's complement, made nothing perfect. The death of animals forgave no sins. On the one hand, we have to annul our faith in ourselves. And we have to annul our faith in the things of this world. We have to empty out, repent of, turn away from misplaced faith. On the other hand, we have to bring in a new hope. A better hope. A hope by which we draw near to God, a hope by which we actually accomplish the end for which God intended us, that we should live in fellowship with him, that we should be in friendship with him, that we should know him and love him and serve him, that through the power of an indestructible life we, though guilty sinners, should be reconciled to a holy God and have a better hope, a reason to live, and a reason to love, even when life is hard, and even when love seems meaningless, useless, unprofitable. There is a power in indestructible life Which Christ is working in this world. He is saving sinners. He is sanctifying saints. And that indestructible life through the the Holy Spirit is in us. Dwelling in us. Working out the inspiration of scripture. This is a bit of a silly story, but I hope it captures what I'm trying to say. A month ago we were in Montana. Montana. We were on the east side of Glacier National Park, and we wanted steak for dinner on the west side of Glacier National Park. And mathematically, there was about enough minutes in the clock before that restaurant closed to get across the park if we encountered no slow cars. We encountered many slow cars. And every time we encountered a slow car, the driver, who was not me, would say... Why? (laughs) And after two or three iterations of this desperate heart cry, I said, do you really want to know? It's because Jesus loves you. And of course, I was just being an obnoxious, pious pastor. You know, I, I was just, you know, teasing my friend. Halfway up the mountain, there's flashing lights in the middle of the road. And a car is off the edge of the road, rocking back and forth. And they need a tow hitch, a tow rope, to pull the car to safety. My friend has one in his truck. You see, you got slowed down by all those cars and you didn't get steak because Jesus is busy saving lives and stake just isn't that important. Friends, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Stop running down the road of self-indulgence. It doesn't lead to glory. Stop running down the road of self-accomplishment and achievement and aggrandizement. It doesn't lead to the glory and enjoyment of God. No, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. Jesus said, I am the way to the Father, and no one comes to Him except through me. Jesus is bringing you to the Father, which allows you to live in indestructible eternal life. Jesus is bringing you to the Father, which allows you to love with an indestructible love. So that Jesus will bring others with you to His Father. This is what the Holy Spirit would have us see. Beloved, Jesus is bringing us to His Father. Live and love with hope. Please pray with me. Our Father in Heaven, we give You thanks for this beautiful day. We give you thanks for our beautiful Savior, for this precious passage. We give you thanks for showing us the imperfections of our way of life, of the way we try to relate to one another and to our world, that we put so much faith in us and so little faith in you. We put so much faith in our works and so little faith in your work. Father, help us. Father, humble us. Father, give us true repentance to reverse this course, to work out the righteousness that you have worked in, to be willing, obedient servants and sons of the living God in the day of your power when you have overpowered us. Father, help us to submit and to surrender to the supremacy of Jesus and to so enjoy the goodness and grace you have for us in Him. Father, we give you thanks for these precious truths and ask that you would write them on our hearts and work them in our lives to the praise of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.